The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about animals. And, you know, animals teach us so much and they give us so much love. And, you know, in our society, we don't always treat animals so well. And I've been reading this beautiful book called My Gentle Barn, Creating a Sanctuary Where Animals Heal and Children Learn to Hope by Ellie Lacks. And this is just a, a beautiful book. We're going to talk about the book and the reasons behind the book and how it evolved. But I want to tell you a little bit first about Ellie, who's in Los Angeles. Ellie Lacks is the founder of the General Barn Foundation, which is a national nonprofit organization that rescues and rehabilitates unwanted animals and heals people with the same stories of abuse and neglect. She is a celebrated animal welfare advocate, a humane educator, and the author, as I said, of this beautiful book, My Gentle Barn. So uh, you can find out more about her at our website at uh, conflicthealing.com and also at her website, which is gentlebarn.org. And you may have heard uh, an animal in the background, but now we're going to talk to the human animal that takes care of them. So uh, welcome. Good to talk to you. Thank you for coming on, Ellie. Thank you for having me. So Ellie, how is it that that you decided to write this book? Well, um, I have always felt like I had a story inside me. Um, I know that I'm not the average bear. Um, My passion and obsession with animals has consumed me since I was a small child. And I noticed from a very early age that that was different than most people, that most people didn't understand my love of animals. And now as a grown-up, I realize that there's millions of people that are just like me. So who, who might also have felt alienated or different or ostracized for their love of animals. So I thought that sharing my story might help other people to feel like there's lots of us and we're all kind of normal, that the stories of my animals might connect people more deeply to them and to love of them. Um, And I just wanted to take people on my journey with me. Um, It's been a very amazing journey with lots of pitfalls, and I had to really hold on to faith to get through it. And I, I think that in sharing my story, If I can inspire other people to love animals or connect more deeply with themselves or to start their dreams, it'll all be worth it. Yeah, it's a beautiful book. So 
let's um let's talk about how you uh, about that first experience that you had with animals you know what happened when you were a little girl that changed your life you talk about it in the book yeah well there are two things that changed my changed my life and set me on the course of my life uh, one is when i was very little and bored to tears in temple i ran out to the field behind the temple and was just messing around back there and i ended up laying down and being covered in butterflies. The butterflies came to be with me and they shrouded me with their lovely orange and black wings. Mm. And it connected me so deeply to nature and to other animals. And I felt part of them. I felt recognized by them. I felt beckoned by them. And it cemented that love of animals. And every time I see a monarch butterfly, I get that same feeling. Mm. Like they're my tribe and I'm part of them. And I get this racing of my heart that I just, it'll just never go away. Mm. And then the other thing that happened a little bit later was um, there was some abuse going on in my childhood, and um, I got to the point where I'd seen enough cruelty from people to other people and to people from people to animals that I decided I didn't want to be here anymore, and I actually tried to kill myself when I was seven. Mm. And it was a hummingbird that saved my life. Um, a little teeny hummingbird with his orange and red and green and blue. He flew into my face and hovered there for what seemed like forever, but it must have been about three to five minutes. Hmm. And his little beady eyes looked into mine, and this feeling came over me like it was going to be okay and I'm supposed to stay. Um, so those two things kind of set me on the course of who I am, which is I am deeply connected to nature and animals that animals have the power to save a life, and that then in my adventures in the woods and lakes, when I would come across an animal that needed help, I had the power to save a life. Right. And it set me on this dream that when I grew up, I was going to have a big place full of animals, and I was going to show the world how beautiful they are. And I started yelling that at my parents since I was seven years old and never quite let go of it until later in life when I finally started the gentle barn. Yeah. So I know you talked in the book about your brothers would harm animals just to make you cry and your friends would tease you because of your love for animals and your parents would just say, don't be ridiculous. And um, so, you know, when I think about people who are cruel to animals, um, you know, they're not good to other people, you know, (laughs) they're usually not good to other people either. So, you know, what do you say about that in our society? I know Hitler was one who used to, like, throw cats around and do terrible things to them and mutilate them. So, um, you know, what do you think that says about people who are cruel to animals? Yeah, well, I, I completely agree with you. A lot of people ask me, like, you know, why are you saving animals? Why don't you use your resources to save people? And they don't understand the correlation. Like, we as a society, we're either kind and gentle and good, or we are abusive and dominating and enslaving. It's one or the other. I, I, don't, I don't believe in a person that is cruel to animals but thinks they can be kind to people. I don't think it works that way. Mm-hmm. I think your heart is either, either open and you're kind and gentle and have empathy, or you don't. And so cultivating empathy through the love of animals is going to help people love more people. So it goes hand in hand. And I think the people that are cruel to animals are people that are suffering. Yes. They're suffering. They're in pain. And they're taking it out on somebody that doesn't deserve it. 
And so the animals need help from them, but the people need help as well. And so at the Gentle Barn, we actually have a program where we work with people that have been in jail for animal abuse. Mm. And we get them to come out to the Gentle Barn and talk about who they're really angry at and talk about what's really paining them. And then they get to apologize to an animal and be forgiven. And it turns them into protectors instead of abusers. Oh, how beautiful is that? You know, I know they also have in prisons for people who, you know, uh, are uh, people who abuse children and and they were just bad, you know, doing some very bad things that they try to rehabilitate them through having a dog, for example, teaching dogs and, and that they finally have some, you know, true companion and it really does transform their heart to connect with an animal right yes absolutely i noticed that um in your book you your best friend as a child was your dog simon and um he was your witness and your teacher uh tell us about how he made you feel and how he changed your life yeah so there was abuse going on in my childhood my parents their favorite statement was, oh, Ellie, don't be ridiculous. Stop your nonsense. So I didn't get much attention at home. My brothers were torturing animals to make me cry. And the kids at school didn't really understand why I loved animals so much. I felt very, very isolated and alone. I felt like there was something different about me. And as a child, that meant there was something wrong with me. Um, And it was my dog, Simon, that made me feel like I was okay. No matter where I, as long as I was with him, I felt... Like I was lovable and I was wanted and I was okay just the way that I was. I felt accepted completely, not judged. And we had wonderful adventures together. And so he became my oxygen. Um, I felt at odds anywhere else. But as long as I was with him, if I was crying, he would listen. If I wanted to explore the woods, he would come with. If I wanted to just sit under a shade tree and look at the flowers, he would do it with me. And I felt like I had someone that really saw me and loved me and accepted me. And it just takes one witness to change a life around. And he was my witness. Yeah. You know, um, I never had a pet as a child. I wanted one so badly, but my parents worked, you know, both of them. And they said, it's not fair to an animal. Anyway, I won a duck in an Easter egg contest. And I named him Butterfluff. And this, I, you know, I only had him for 10 weeks. And I slept with him. I did everything. Then my mother made me take him to Amling's Flowerland. And it was just so heartbreaking, mm. you know, to to have that. And um, to this day, I will not eat duck. But, um, you know, then for my kids, when I had kids, I always had dogs for them. Always. You know, they grew Aww. up with dogs. And, um, and now I, I have two dogs, you know, and two birds. So... <laughs> But um, I think that animals teach us so much. They live in the moment. Like I think about my golden retriever and my Boston Terrier. They are so living in the moment. They don't worry about the future. They don't think about the past. (laughs) And if you're down and out, they'll come and snuggle with you. So um, those are really good things for children to have, you know, to have that unconditional love that and being in the moment, you know, being mindful right there with you. So um, for those of you who've never had an animal that is listening, it really, it just transforms your life to be able to connect with that spirit of of an animal, uh, especially a pet like a dog or, you know, I think a dog is, or, or a cat, 
Um, my birds are not quite the same, <laughs> but you know, you can really snuggle with a dog, right? Or a cat. Yeah. But it looks like you snuggled with your cow and, uh, you know, other animals that would you, when you, the first animal that you saved, why don't you talk about that first animal that you saved? Yeah. Um, as a young adult, I was doing an errand and I saw a petting zoo I'd never seen before. And I went in just to be nosy. And there was so much neglect and abuse going on there that I ended up running for the door as fast as I could because I was sick to my stomach about what I was seeing. And blocking the exit was a very old goat named Mary. And she looked like she was absolutely falling apart. Mm. But her eyes locked onto mine. And she asked me, would you please help me? And she stopped me in my tracks. And I knew that if I left her there, she would die. So I ended up asking the owner if I could have her, and she said no. And I said, can I name her? And she said no. And I said, well, I'm going to stay here till you say yes. And I stayed there for 12 days. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And on the 13th day, she came and found me and said, take the goat and get the heck out of here. <laughs> and so I brought Mary home. And Mary is the one that really set me on track with my life's purpose. She reminded me that I'm here to heal animals to breathe the life back into them, that that's my gift. Mm. And healing her healed me because healing her reminded me of who I was and mm. set me on the course that I now live every single day. And um, I loved healing Mary and mm. finding myself in return. Right. You both healed each other. So yeah. um, when you were 11, you told your parents you weren't going to eat meat anymore. So how did that work out? <laughs> With them. <clears throat> yeah, at first they were in denial and didn't believe me. So they were like, that's nice, dear, eat your chicken soup. But when they realized that I was serious and not budging from my convictions, they were like, you're not going to grow and you're going to be anemic and you're going to die. And I'm 51. I made it. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of vegans around, right? Absolutely. Um, I feel healthy. I feel full of energy. I raised three kids vegan. Um, been vegetarian since 11, been vegan for almost 20 years. Uh, it's been the best decision I've ever made. It helped me be more connected to animals, be, uh, listen to my intuitions more. Um, and I love going to bed at night knowing that nobody suffered or died for me to live. It's just the single greatest feeling ever. Mm -hmm. So why don't you describe some of the miracles that kept the gentle barn alive? Wow, there have been many, many miracles, <laughs> many miracles. Um, this is really, if I had to pinpoint like in, in a, just a few words what my journey's been like, I would describe it that it's been a journey of faith. Um, I started the Gentle Barn. I didn't go and raise millions of dollars first. I didn't connect with billionaires first. I just started bringing animals home from that abusive petting zoo. And then later I was like, uh-oh, I've got to feed them and I've got to pay for vet care. And I kind of had to figure it out in the moment. And every single time I thought, oh, my God, this animal's sick. How am I going to pay for it? I remember there was this one little pony named Ladybug. And uh, she was just the cutest little thing ever. And she was very, very old. And she had some health challenges. And she got sick. And I literally had no money. Mm. And I was thinking, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? Of course, I have to give her the care she deserves. But I don't have any money. What am I going to do? And then I stopped myself and I said, no. I'm going to figure something out. There's going to be a way. There's got to be a way. And literally five minutes later, this woman walked down my driveway 
and said, hey, I just stopped by to make a donation. And she handed me a $500 check that I promptly took to the veterinarian and we got Ladybug the care that she needed. And my 20-year journey at the Gentle Barn has been story after story after story just like that, where, where I thought all was lost and there was no way out. Some angel would appear, some way would appear, and I was able to pay for feed and vet care, and I was able to provide all my needs to my animals and the organization always. There's never been a time where I didn't have what I needed. So how did that affect your, your personal life? You know, your marriage, your kids, how has how uh, that, that uh, purpose that you've, you know, found in your life, how has that been affecting the rest of your life? Yeah, so I started the Gentle Barn with my first husband, and um, I think that he ignored it at first, you know, kind of thought I wasn't really serious, and when the number of animals in the backyard started growing, he started getting more and more concerned. Um, he did not share my same dream of wanting to have animals. Um, and it, 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 he kind of he ignored the goats and sheep, and he kind of like would make passive-aggressive jokes about the ducks and the chickens. Um, the pigs, he started getting more and more irritated about. And then when I wanted to bring home a cow, that's when he had had enough. Mm. And he said, it's the cow or me. <laughs> so in came the cow and out went the husband. <laughs> So how about the kids? How did, I mean, obviously they had a, a different upbringing than you had. My kids had the upbringing that I longed to have. Right. I mean, we've buried animals together. We've sat up all night waiting for an animal to give birth. We've celebrated life. We've named chickens together. We've cleaned the barnyard together. Um and, you know, I think that everybody probably takes their position for granted. So, you know, my kids have the childhood that they have, and they probably take it for granted. But I'm hoping that when they're grown up and they look back and they compare their upbringing to other people's, hopefully they'll cherish it as something really, really special. Because we do things that are really different than other people. My my little girl, she, my youngest, she's 13 now. And when she was nine, uh, her a horse that we rescued that was a favorite of hers got very sick and needed surgery. And me and my second husband, Jay, who runs the gentle barn with me now and Cheyenne watched through the observation window and actually watched them take all her intestines out of her body, find the tumors and put them back. I mean, what nine-year-old girl watches a surgery like that? So She's talked to eye doctors and watched acupuncture and massage therapy. She's talked to world-renowned experts and flown all over the country. And I hope that one day she'll look back and think it was really special. So does she want to become a veterinarian? No, she's a dancer, actually. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) I just wondered if that kind of inspired any of the kids to want to become vets. They used to talk about it when they were little. I remember my two oldest, Jesse and Molly, who are now 20 and 21, when they were in school and I used to drive them to school in the mornings, they would sit in the back seat and kind of whisper, thinking I was out of earshot. And they would whisper about, when mom and dad die, I'll become the vet and you'll live on the property and take care of the animals. And they have this whole plan. <laughs> but then they grew up and, and developed other plans, which is just fine. I mean, everybody's here to dance their own dance and sing their own song. And I don't want my children to have to follow my dream. I want them to find their own. And I'm really proud of them. 
Sure. Now, you had um, a, a cow that you rescued named Karma. Tell us about Karma the cow. Is that the one on the, the cover of your book? Karma looks a lot like that, but no, the cover on my book, that's Dakota Ray. Oh, okay. Yeah, but Karma looks a lot like that. She's a little red cow with a white face covered in freckles. And um, Karma was rescued from a horrible abuse case that we actually investigated for four years and ultimately got shut down. When the man went to jail, animal control brought all his animals to us to heal. They were all more dead than alive. Mm-hmm. But Karma was very different than the other animals because when she came in, she kept crying incessantly and pacing. And we couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. Why did she keep crying? I mean, she had all the other animals were quiet. She had everything that she needed. Why does she keep crying? Um, it wasn't until the very next morning that I figured out that she was dripping milk and she was crying because she had lost a baby. Oh, oh. So I very quickly called my husband, <clears throat> who uh, drove immediately to the backyard butcher and demanded to have the baby back. And thankfully, their truck had broke down and they still had the baby. They oh. were planning to sell him, which is why they hid him from us during the rescue. Oh. But... Um, their truck had broken. So the baby down, was alive. Husband. The baby was the alive. The baby was alive. Yeah. Yeah. And they had sold him, and they were trying to deliver him, but their truck had broken down. Mm. And so when my husband got there, my husband said, I'm going to fix the truck, and you're going to give me the baby. And not believing that he could do it, they said yes. And my husband fixed their truck, and they handed over the baby. Oh, my goodness. And when they brought the baby back home to the gentle barn, it was such a love scene from a movie. There was not a dry eye in the house. Mm. Um, The baby was screaming for his mommy. The mommy was screaming for the baby. And we reunited them. And they, the mom groomed her baby and licked him all over till he was soaking wet. And she stood still for him to nurse. And they were inseparable ever since. Uh, She got to raise him and love him for the rest of his life. It was beautiful. Oh, that is great. Wonderful. And she sadly outlived her son, oh. um, but she's still alive and well at the Gentle Barn, giving out hugs every Sunday when we're open to the public and working side-by-side side with me uh, with our at-risk inner-city and special needs program, giving hope and inspiration to people. Wow. Well, since writing uh, your gentle, My Gentle Barn, you've studied and you've learned more about how to communicate fully with animals. So are you now an animal communicator? Is that what you um, have evolved to? <clears throat> I am. And, you know, I've always, I could always hear animals when I was a child. I, I would never use that terminology. I didn't have a name for it. I just could hear them. And I heard their cries of desperation and I heard their cries of help and I always responded to it. I thought everybody did that. I thought everybody could hear animals. Um, but then when I went to high school, I would be teased for it. And so I shut it down more and more and more until I didn't want my gifts. I just wanted to be normal. Right. And right. it wasn't until an adult when I realized nobody's normal. Everybody is who they are. Right. And who I am is someone that can hear animals, so I need to embrace who I am. So the minute I accepted it, my gifts started getting stronger and stronger. I took some classes. I had some people help me. And, yes, I am now confident enough in it to, to be able to say, yes, I, I am an animal communicator. Um. And it's helped me in my own rescue work really listen to what the animal's been through and hear the stories that most of the time we don't get to know and ask them what they want and what they need and be able to give them whatever it is that they're looking for so that they can have happy, fulfilled lives. 
Um, but word is getting out that I can talk to animals. And so I've actually, I've actually helped lost dogs go home. I've helped people at the end of life care know if the animal is ready to leave or not. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's I'll, been a wonderful I'll t- gift. yeah, Ellie, you know, when we had our last golden before the one we have now, he was really wonderful. And, um, I had, you know, done Reiki on him, trying to save him from, he had this terrible hemangiosarcoma, uh, which was this blood disease that a lot of Goldens got. Anyway, I mean, he he was so full of life, and, and even the day that he died, we took him to the park and he got himself up, but I, I didn't know what to do. The doctor was saying, you know, I think it's time, I think it's time, and I kept saying, I don't think it's time, but... So we talked to an animal communicator, and he had said, look, um, I'm ready to stay as long as you can handle it. And if you can't Mm -hmm. handle it, I'm ready to go, and you'll know. I'll let you know. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was so helpful because then I, I, you know, we had him for another few weeks because I knew that he wanted to be with us. He loved us so much that he was willing to suffer what he was suffering just to be with us and that he did let us know when it was time. So, um, oh, so that was that it, when you talked about that, you helped people with that was such a gift to us because we cared so, so much about doing the right thing for him, you know, that is such a gift. It's such a tremendous decision and responsibility when you have an animal that isn't doing well physically and you're saying, is it time? Is it not time? Do they want to go? Do they want to stay? Right. It's such a hard decision. You know, when you love your babies and you don't want to see them go, but you also don't want to see them suffer. Yeah. And when you can go to an animal communicator and just ask the animal, hey, are you ready or do you want right. to stay more? Right. It's such a weight off your shoulders. And so I've been able to do that with our animals, but also help other people. And um I think it's, it's that's beautiful. It, re- it really was. I mean, I could ask questions and get answers. So I'm a real believer that that is definitely one thing that we could do that's so helpful for our animals. So, yes. you know, how can we protect animals with the foods we buy? Hello? I said, can you hear me? Yeah, sorry. Will you say that again? I said, how can we protect animals with the foods we buy? Oh, I'm so glad that you asked that question, and I think it's the most important question. Um, I think that predominantly most of us would identify as animal lovers, but I think there's a disconnect um, in what we're eating versus our love for animals. Right. And I think that the most effective, most efficient, most powerful thing we can do to help animals everywhere on a really, really big scale is to not eat them. Um, Adopting a vegan diet is something that is so easy. And when you make sure that you're getting the iron, calcium, and protein, it's nutritious and and keeps your body healthy. And at the same time, it's not affecting animals. And the meat industry is obviously eating animals, which everybody understands that that is, you know, a hardship for an animal. But the dairy industry is even cooler. And I think that that might be something that most people miss. Um, as animal lovers, you know, you know, there's a lot of people like, oh, I won't eat animals because I love them. But um, the dairy industry and the egg industry are actually 
industries where animals suffer from beginning to end. Mm. It's just a lifetime of torture. It is literally a lifetime of torture, both physically and emotionally. Mm. And the best thing we can do for them is boycott those industries, adopt plant-based diets. It's better for our body. It's better for the planet. No animals suffer. And it's the actual, like, for me, going vegan, that's the verb of love. Like, mm. if you want to turn love into a verb, go vegan. That's the verb. That's a perfect a way sudden, to Yeah, I was going to say that's such a perfect way to end because we are out of time. It, the time went so quickly. So I just want to mention your book again, My Gentle Barn, Creating a Sanctuary Where Animals Heal and Children Learn Hope to Hope by Ellie Lax. Ellie, thank you so much. Just give your website and it's time to go, okay? Sure, gentlebarn.org. Okay, we'll keep up all the wonderful work and stay in touch so we could have you back again, okay? Thank you. Thanks. Thanks all for right. having me. All right. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. You gotta fight both night and day. Doesn't matter what some people may say. Don't be the lamb's cry, be the lion's roar. Cause love is worth fighting for, I know, yeah. Love is worth fighting.